Good morning. Good Chodesh. Today is Rosh Chodesh Av. Today we begin the book of Devarim and the month of Av at the same time, as well as what we call the nine days. The title for today's year on Parshas Devarim is To Be Lovable and Loved. This month, the month of Av, is anonymously sponsored in Hakara Satov Rabbi Akiva and the Zweig families for their teaching and sharing Torah. May all of our learning be a merit for all our children and grandchildren to find their Shidduchim with clarity and speedily and abundant Shalom Bayis, as well as a Refuah Shalema for all in need. Today, <clears throat> we begin the customs, I'm sorry, before I be, start, begin this year, I just want to mention to this <clears throat> anonymous family that is sponsoring that we have great appreciation for them and all their participation <clears throat> in the yeshiva and the learning that they and their families have done with us. And we wish them only bracha, hatzlacha, and that all their prayers should be answered. Today, we begin the customs that pertain to the nine days. For many of us, this means that other than this coming Shabbos, we do not eat meat or eat poultry products, nor may we drink wine until after Tisha B'Av. These behaviors remind us of the many tragic events of our history that occurred on our calendar at this time of the year. A question that's probably frequently bothered most of us is how do we Jewish people continue to find ourselves in this predicament? Why have our people suffered so greatly for thousands of years? And when will it all stop? When will Mashiach arrive? So because this is such a fundamental time in our calendar where we recognize our failings as a nation, it is the right time for this question. After all, according to Chazal, Tisha B'Av marks the core problem and issue that we have as our people for our ongoing galus and our many sufferings, persecutions, and exiles from Eretz Yisrael. In Parshas Devarim, we find a new description of the seminal event of the complaining of the Jewish people regarding the spies and the slander of Eretz Yisrael, what we call the sin of the spies. As the first Tisha B'Av in our history was indeed the night the Jewish people accepted the slander of the ten spies and proceeded to complain, lament, and cry over their fate, it behooves us to understand what exactly the mindset of our people was on that calamitous occasion. So here are the sentences that describe the particular gripes and grievances of the Jewish people regarding the reporting of the 10 spies. And let me again point out that this is really a new description that we don't find in Parshas Shalach when the Torah first records the event of the spies. Here in Parshas Devarim, which provides an overview recap of much of the history of the Torah, we find new wording that describes what exactly the Jewish people were saying and seemingly thinking at the time of the 10 spies. So Moshe begins at the beginning of this story when he says that all you Jews came to me and said, let us send agents to reconnoiter the land for us and bring back word 
on the route we shall follow and the cities we shall come to. Says Moshe, I approved the plan. And so I selected from among you 12 participants, one representative from each tribe. They made for the hill country. That means the spies made their way up from the desert into the land of Israel, to the hill country, to the Wadi Eshkol they came and spied it out. The Wadi Eshkol is where the spies cut down the grapes for the Jewish people to witness. Eshkol refers to the cluster of the grapes. They took some of the food of the land with them and brought it down to us, and they gave us this report. It is a good land that Hashem our God is giving to us, and according to all commentaries, the spies definitely did begin, at least, with the fact that it was a good land. Interestingly, the Ramban says that the 10 spies did not openly tell Moshe their grievances with the land. The 10 spies actually went that night to the different tents of the Jewish people, speaking and spreading their slander secretly. That's a very interesting commentary on the Ramban here in our Parsha. Continuing with what the Torah says, yet you refused to go up and flouted the command of your God Hashem. You sulked in your tents and said, it is out of hatred for us that Hashem brought us up out of the land of Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites, that means the people of the land of Canaan, to wipe us out, to annihilate us, because Hashem hates us. We're going to focus on that shortly. What kind of place are we going to? Our brothers have taken the heart of us and melted it, saying, we saw there a people stranger and taller than we, large cities with walls sky high, and even Anakites, meaning giants. I said to you, says Moshe, have no dread or fear of them. None other than your God, Hashem, who goes before you, will fight for you just as God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness, where you saw how your God, Hashem, carried you as a householder carries his son all the way that you traveled until you came to this place. Yet, for all of that, you have no faith in your God, Hashem, is also what Moshe tells the people. So the, these above sentences clearly portray that the Jews were sulking and lamenting that because Hashem hated the Jewish people, Hashem brought them out from Egypt, with the ultimate result being the annihilation of our nation at the hands of the peoples of the land of Canaan. Moshe goes on to point out that the people were not seeing reality correctly, because indeed, Moshe contends that the people did not internalize the truth of Hashem's caring and love for the Jewish people as demonstrated throughout the travels of the Jewish people in the desert, and of course, beginning with the actual redemption of the Jews from hundreds of years of slavery from the land of Egypt. So this is all very interesting. Before we analyze all of this, let's look at two critical comments from Rashi. The phrase in the sentence on chapter one, sentence 27 says, because the Lord hates us, meaning because Hashem hates us, he took us out of Egypt. Says Rashi, really, however, Hashem loved you, but you hated him. A common proverb, says Rashi, is that what is in your own mind about your friend, meaning about the other, you imagine is what is in his mind about you. We call this in psychology projection. So in fact, the Jewish people here 
are contending that Hashem hates them, right? Because Hashem hates us, he took us out from the land of Egypt. Says Rashi, Mm-mm. Hashem loved the Jewish people and loves us, <coughs> but because the Jewish people, in fact, hate Hashem, they project onto Hashem that Hashem hates us, the Jewish people. That's comment number one from Rashi. And then the Torah goes on to say that indeed, just like Hashem or a father carries his son, that's how Hashem took care of us. Says Rashi, the meaning is just as have I explained earlier in the Torah, that when the angel of Hashem traveled from in front of the Jewish people to create a barrier between the Egyptians and the Jewish people, the angel from Hashem traveled from the front of them, went to the back so that the Jewish people would be protected from the stones that the Egyptian cast against the Jewish people when they were surrounded at the Red Sea, that depicts Hashem's love for us. Nonetheless, the people were not recognizing that. They were not internalizing that. And Rashi gives a parable. It may be compared, says Rashi, to one who's proceeding on a journey, his son walking in front of him, and bandits come to kidnap him. He takes him away from in front of him and places him behind himself. But in addition to that, says Rashi, and let me just get a few, pardon me just for one moment. Let me just get it for you. In addition to that, says Rashi, that this hatred of which the Jewish people are speaking is a parable to a man that has two sons and two fields. So a father has two sons with two pieces of land. One of the fields is an irrigated, well-watered field. And the second field is arid, does not have its own source of water, but does have rainwater that sometimes waters it. To the son that he loves, the father gives the irrigated field, the one that's already well-sourced with water. To the son that he hates, he gives the arid field, the one that actually depends on rainwater. So too, the land of Egypt is a well-irrigated land because the Nile River would naturally overflow and water the fields of the Egyptians and provide for all of their agricultural needs. Whereas the land of Israel is a rainwater land, as the Torah itself testifies in a couple of parshios. And so therefore, the land of Israel is the one seemingly that should go to the hated son. All of this bolsters, says Rashi, the Jewish concept that Hashem is hating them because Hashem did not bequeath Egypt to the Jewish people. Hashem instead gave as the inheritance to the Jewish people the land of Israel, which requires rainwater. So the upshot of these comments from Rashi is twofold. Number one, the Jewish people did not recognize that Hashem truly loved them. Instead, the Jewish people themselves harbored a hateful attitude towards Hashem and thus projected that Hashem hated them. That's point number one. Additionally, number two, the Jewish people resented that Hashem bequeathed Eretz Yisrael to them as their inheritance and not the land of Egypt because Eretz Yisrael depends on rainwater, whereas Egypt 
as the natural resource of the Nile River, which provides ample irrigation for their agricultural needs. Thus, the Jewish people concluded that Hashem hated them. So here are three questions uh, by way of analysis, and then we will begin our explanation. Number one, why did the Jewish people have such a hard time seeing the reality of Hashem's caring and love for them? Right? After all, as mentioned, we had been enslaved for hundreds of years. Hashem made incredible miracles, took us out in grandiose fashion, not to mention the tremendous wealth with which we left the land of Egypt. Number two, all the miracles of providing for us along the way through the travels in the desert, being saved from Amalek and the daily mun from heaven, et cetera, et cetera. So why in fact are the Jewish people having such a hard time seeing that Hashem loves them? Number two, fair question. Why did Hashem in fact give us the harder land of Eretz Yisrael as opposed to the land of Egypt? In fact, it does seem that the easier land, which would be the land of Egypt, would be the land that Hashem would give the beloved son. So why did Hashem make it, so to speak, that Eretz Mitzrayim is easily irrigated? Eretz Yisrael depends on rainwater and therefore with great difficulty and kind of sometimes yes and sometimes no. Why in fact did that become the land that Hashem bequeathed to the Jewish people? Or in other words, why did Hashem not provide ample water for Eretz Yisrael so that it would be a much easier land to work? That's second question. And finally, what do we need to do to solve within ourselves the problem of the sin of the 10 spies so that we can bring an end to our millennia long exile and suffering? What is the core issue and how can we fix it? Because I believe, and I don't only speak for myself, but probably all of us, that really we're tired and would love an end to the chaos and the suffering that we continue to experience in the exile. And that's with things being quite good for us Jews in comparison to many other periods of history. So here is the beginning of our suggested answer. And it's a very important insight psychologically into ourselves and into all of our important relationships. When people, let's remember that the title for today's class is to be lovable and loved. When people consider the question whether or not someone else loves them, they tend to think in terms of what the other person gives to them. So in other words, if we ask ourselves the question, do our parents love us, our siblings, our children, et cetera, we tend to then in our minds follow that up with, well, okay, let's see, what do they give to us? What are their demonstrations of love towards us? And then we begin to measure in our minds if we think it's adequate or it does actually demonstrate uh, a real love. So, <clears throat> I'm here to say that this is a fallacy. That is a terrible, terrible mistake that most of us make when we think of measuring if someone else loves us. And here's why. When we truly love someone, let's forget about other people for a moment. We'll come back to how our perception of other people is towards us. Let's instead for the moment, talk about when we measure if we love someone else. When we truly love someone, 
do we simply try to give them everything that we can, or do we really try to help them become their independent and best self? I would suggest that when we really love someone, what we tend to think about is are we providing them help or opportunities for the other person that we love to help themselves become fully independent, fully self-responsible, fully developed and therefore self-fulfilled. That is the best way that we can love someone. Because to love someone by giving them everything that we can possibly give them and enabling them to not be self-responsible or self-developed, we actually take away their own ability for them to feel good about themselves and actually to be lovable, which is what we're gonna talk about in a moment. So when we truly love someone, what we try to do is help them to become their independent and best self. Necessarily, this means that the most we provide them is either the opportunity or the perspective to see the opportunities of their own self-development. You can educate yourself. I will try to help you so that you can pursue an education. I will try to help you so that you can achieve and pursue opportunities in business. I do not do them for you because I love you, not because I don't love you. That's the key. Because if we really love someone, we want them to be who they can be to the maximum extent of their abilities and development. Now, in order for that love to work, the person who's on the receiving end needs to choose to be self-responsible and to take advantage of those opportunities. If they don't choose to be self-responsible and don't choose to take advantage of those opportunities, then they actually make themselves unlovable. Why? Because then the only way I can show love is to disempower them, to give them what they are demanding, to give them what they want from me, and to enable them to not self-produce, to not be self-responsible, and to not self-develop. Well, guess what? When we don't self-produce, when we're not self-responsible, when we don't self-develop, we don't much like ourselves. And we don't really believe that anyone else can really love us. Although we say, and we profess, if you give us what we want, then you love us. And if you don't give us what we want, then you don't love us. And that's what the Jewish people were doing at this time. And that is the core issue of most people in most times. So unfortunately, when a person does not want to do the work, yeah, that's what I tell you know, my students very often. There's a four-letter word that ends with K. It's not the one you're thinking of. It's called work. And failing to work means failing to be self-responsible and failing to understand not only what will make you happy, but it means failing to understand what love really means. And this is crucial. The whole concept of entitlements and acceptance demands. Yes, that's what I want to call it today. Acceptance demands. You must accept that my lifestyle is valid. You must give me what I demand because you have it and you can give it to me. And if you don't, 
then you are rejecting me. You are ostracizing me. You are invalidating me and you are evil. That is exactly what is happening in our society today. And it's exactly the problem. Because what's really happening is that instead of people making choices to be self-responsible and self-develop, they are demanding that other people do for them, just like the Jewish people were demanding the land of Egypt, where we don't have to work, where the field is naturally irrigated, where the water just comes because it's always there. So when people have these concepts of entitlements and acceptance demands, it's all predicated on a lack of understanding what constitutes real self-responsibility and real self-actualization, which leads to a horrible perversion of the concept of love. And I cannot overemphasize this enough. What really happens when people have internalized this concept of love, which is you give me what I think I'm entitled for receiving from you and what you can give me, they don't build genuine loving and healthy relationships. Instead, all the relationships that they build are predicated on a transactional type of relationship where nobody is really cared about, but everybody gives something in exchange for what the other person gives to them. And as long as that continues, they have a relationship. And when it doesn't, they fall into terrible uh, dis, dis, uh, disassociation or even worse and end up in hateful uh, relationships, which is really what the Jewish people at this time were developing vis-a-vis -vis their relationship with Hashem. Because the Jewish people on some level, obviously it's not all the Jewish people, it's obviously you know, a spectrum of the different levels where we uh, demand from Hashem and expect as opposed to demand from ourselves and to do our own work. But on some level, because the Jewish people at this time felt very strongly, and yes, it was in large part because of their fear that they were having in trying to conquer the land of Israel and depending fully on Hashem's assistance because of their understanding that this should be easier, that the land of Israel should be easier, that it should be given to them in a manner which is not, you know, completely comfortable and does not require work from themselves. Because of that, they actually began to live a paradigm of the goal is not for me to be self-developing, self-responsible, and self-fulfilled. The goal is instead for things to be easy, things to be provided for me, and then I'll know that Hashem really loves me. And that fallacy, that horrible, tragic mistake is what leads them to cry, literally to cry over their fate of being given the land of Israel and the need for them to go in and conquer. And because of that, Hashem has said that the destiny of the Jewish people is to suffer millennia long exiles, destructions, horrible things such as pogroms and even the Holocaust, etc., until the Jewish people can both individually and collectively step into the reality that we have to be self-responsible and worthy to develop ourselves to the point, not that Hashem will take care of us, but that creation will operate 
the way that it is meant to function. That is a message in our Haftorah this week. Uh, for anyone who wants to look at the Haftorah, Shabbos Chazon, which is a major, major Haftorah from the prophet Yeshaya, that everybody should know correctly what it means to have a master. Everyone should know correctly what it means to have responsibility. And instead, we Jews have tended to be in denial over this concept. And because of this, today, when Jewish people think about where they should live and where is anti-Semitism and where will it be safe and where can economic security be found, etc., we tend not to think of, well, what is our responsibility? What do we need to be doing individually and collectively as a people? And what are we doing about it? Instead, we tend to think about, you know, how come it's so long and why is it so difficult? And don't I try to be a good person? And I also dive into Hashem and, you know, I do mitzvahs, you know, come on. What does Hashem want from me already? Why is he doing this to me? Well, that's borderline. Like, you know what? Maybe Hashem really does hate us. That's borderline. It really is. If instead we would focus on what are we doing for our people and why are we losing so many religious Jews, not to mention all the unaffiliated Jews that are already mostly lost from being proud to be Jewish, from being associated with the land of Israel. Instead of taking action to repair those things, we focus on why is it so difficult and when will it all end? That is a very, very similar fallacy to the mistake that the Jewish people were making at the time of the 10 spies. The concept of rainwater falling in abundance is the mechanism by which we can determine if we are self-responsible and self-actualizing. Hashem gave us the greatest gift by giving us the land of Israel as a sign of love because what it means is that we will always know if we are being self-responsible, self-actualizing, if we are going to have fulfillment, we will always know by how the land of Israel is responding to us. And when there was famine in the land of Israel at the time of the first base of Mikdash that Eliyahu Hanavi actually decreed, the Jews were supposed to get the message that they were not being self-responsible and self-actualizing. And all the tremendous ups and downs that the Jewish people experienced at the time of the judges before there was a king over the Jewish people was another sign that the Jewish people should have taken to themselves to self-correct and to look deeply within themselves. Are we looking for the easy way out? Are we looking to not work? Are we demanding recklessly that Hashem should be taking care of us? Or are we actually self-examining our own actions and actualizing who we're supposed to become, become and take responsibility for ourselves? This is the love that Hashem is giving to us through the land of Israel. Because again, as we've mentioned, if you really love someone, you're not looking to make it easy for them. You're looking to help them maximize their opportunities of self-development, of self-growth of self-responsibility, which ultimately leads to complete self-fulfillment. And it's very, very easy to see when we are failing at this mission. And I wanna mention it again, because it bears mentioning. 
When we are focusing on when will Hashem bring the Mashiach, when will he take us out of our suffering, we are completely missing the point. It's what are we doing to help our people to become self-responsible, having a consciousness of fixing the mistakes that we're making, of having a sense of responsibility towards our other Jews and actually doing things to help other Jews learn the Torah, to become more self-responsible and to learn not to be making entitlement demands or demands of acceptance as society is doing across the board today. If we're doing that, we're asking the right questions, we're learning the lessons of the nine days and the lessons of Tisha B'Av. Now let's be very emphatic about a very interesting point. What is the name of this month? Av. What does Av mean? Father. And that was our critical mistake, as Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. Hashem is treating us like a father. It's we that are not accepting that being loved means that we have to work. Hashem is treating us like the father who takes care of his son. He provided all the opportunities for the Jews of the time to be the best version of themselves that they could be. By taking them out in miraculous fashion, by declaring to the world the preeminent role that the Jewish people have in the world, by giving them the responsibilities, but also the magic wisdom of the Torah, by all the miracles that he provided along the way, and by letting them live the consequences of their mistakes when they turned around and said, hey, where is Hashem? Is Hashem in our midst? And there comes Amalek. Or when they complained about the meat, and then came the slug and the death that happened then and the story of Korach, and the story of the spies, where he told us very clearly our core problem of not willing, of us having a not, an unwillingness to take responsibility for ourselves. That's what a father is supposed to do. That's why it's called the month of Av, the month of Hashem being our father. Now this too has a major ramification for us today. Because society is so pervasive in how they present that people are entitled because other people have wealth, I'm entitled to have some of that wealth, or because America has resources, the world is entitled to it, et cetera, et cetera. The fact is that some of our own Jewish brethren have fallen into this trap of not recognizing what our role is meant to be. Forget about our role as Jews in the world, but our role as individuals in a relationship with Hashem, where we somehow think, well, because we profess that Hashem exists, Hashem is supposed to give us everything that we want and need. It doesn't work that way. We have to ask ourselves, how are we supposed to behave? Now, sometimes as parents, we might have the occasional time when our children feel that there is supposed to be more given to them by us. And sometimes they can even have ridiculous demands. If we're not giving our children the message that our goal here is to help you to become self-responsible, and instead we either give in to their demands or the flip side, we just completely ignore them, then we are failing them as parents, as the Av. What we need to learn from Hashem is that just like Hashem, was teaching us and continues to monitor us and 
deal with us in the same manner, that to the extent that we improve our behaviors, to the extent that we are stepping into self-responsibility, then to that extent we see success, that's the way we need to deal with our children as well. Because that's the only method by which a person can be both lovable and actually loved. Not only because how we're going to love them, but because that's what real love is. Real love is empowering someone to their own greatness. Everything else is actually just a a process where each person is loving how the other person makes them feel, right? So when a parent is giving to a child more and more, and the child is expressing love back for everything that the child is receiving, the child is getting the things that they want, and the parent is thinking that they're getting love from their children. That's not what love should be based on at all. Love should be based on an admiration of who the other person is, a recognition of their greatness, a desire to help them achieve that greatness and provide help for that, but not what I can get from the other person. When what I think love is, is how the other person makes me feel, that's called loving chicken. I love chicken, I consume it because of how it makes me feel. When I love someone for who they are, I don't wanna consume them. I don't want to get something from them. I don't want to focus on how they make me feel I want them to feel great. I want them to achieve greatness. I want them to be appreciated by others for their greatness. And that is real love. So we're gonna get to the the questions on on the chat in a moment, but just to be very clear that our answers to our questions are, is why did the Jewish people have such a hard time seeing the reality of Hashem's caring and love for them? Our answer is because they did not want to see that what Hashem was giving them was the opportunity to become self-responsible, self-governing, and achieve their own greatness. Instead, what they wanted was the easy life. Why? Because they did not want to have that self-responsibility and to do the hard work. Why did Hashem, in fact, give us the harder land of Eretz Israel? Because that's the beauty of Eretz Israel, in addition to all the other magnificent gifts that Eretz Israel provides, both materially and um, uh, uh, spiritually, Eretz Israel also provides for us the litmus test of are we achieving our own self-development because we are self-responsible, or instead are we living with entitlement and acceptance demands and give us now, because if you don't, that means that you don't love us. And finally, what do we need to solve within ourselves so that we can bring an end to our millennia-long exile and suffering? The answer is to fully step into self-responsibility, to ask ourselves, are we fixing the things in ourselves that we know to be wrong? Are we demanding that Hashem treat us a certain way because we simply feel that we are, are entitled to it? Or instead, are we asking the questions of what do I need to do in order to help myself and help the rest of our fellow Jews to actually be self-responsible and self-developed people. If we are doing that, then we are actually working on the core issue. And as we are mentioning, this is why it is in fact called the month of Av. Let me get to a couple of the questions that are on the chat and then we'll take everyone else's questions and comments. Um, Yes, uh, Rivari Marinelli is pointing out, uh, as my father also points out, that one of the words in the Torah to help someone is the word Azov. 
Azov to Azov Imo, which means you shall surely help him, actually comes from the word Azav, which means to leave, right? So the way that you know that you've really helped someone is when you can actually leave and they don't fall apart, right? That means that you've given them their own uh, self-development opportunity and helped them enough to the point that you can leave and they can actually function well without you. That's a great point. Uh, another question that Ravari asked is, how does this theme relate to Hester Panin? Uh, what we have to recognize is that Hester Panin means that Hashem is not obviously present in our lives in the ways that Hashem has been in the past, whether it be through revealed prophecies or through miracles that were overt as in the Holy Temple and many times in the desert, as we know. Uh, but Hester Panin obviously does not mean that Hashem abandons us as the Torah itself testifies in many places. And in fact, Hashem does actually deal with us uh, in a hidden way, but is constantly doing many, many things to facilitate and orchestrate things that are good for us. And so Hester Panin is just the way of saying that it's not obvious that Hashem is working uh, the magic, so to speak, but of course Hashem still is working uh, major magic. That's different, I just wanna point out that Hester Panin is different than Chorban, which means destruction, because at the time of destruction, it's not only about the fact that Hashem seems to be hidden, but it's the time when Hashem is actually allowing the consequences of our actions to catch up with us and to get, have effect, which causes us tremendous suffering and loss. That is different, I think, also than, uh, quote unquote, Hester Panin. I think those are the questions from the chat. Uh, here's one more, and then I wanna take anyone else's uh, questions or comments. Ah, so Rabbi Yaakov Rosenthal is asking, how do we as parents or spouses, good um, addition there, how do we as parents or spouses give the feeling to our loved ones that when we don't give, it's not because uh, we don't love, but it's rather because we are trying to foster their self-development. The answer, which is a great question. So thank you, Rabbi The answer is that we have to first internally look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what is our motivation? Because unless it is our true motivation, it will not uh, be apparent to the people that we love that when we don't give them, it's a way of trying to help them, right? So if it's true, that part or the major part of the reason that we're not helping is because uh, we want them to be self-sufficient uh, or self-responsible, so then we can give the following message to them, which is, what I really want is for you to succeed as an independent, capable person that you yourself believe in yourself, know your abilities, and make the good choices to live up to your potential. That's what I really want for you. And it's because of that that I'm not just stepping in and solving the problem, I'm trying to help you achieve making the right choices for your own greatness. That's how we should be saying it to them. But I'm, I'm pointing out that unless that's what we really feel and believe, uh, when we say that, it will ring hollow. If it's what we really think and really are trying to do for our loved ones, then I think it does come out that way. Now, all of this, of course, is separate and apart from the fact that sometimes we simply cannot. Sometimes uh, people... Uh, our loved ones or others want money from us that we simply cannot provide, or they may want time from us that we simply cannot provide. But generally speaking, there's a lot that we can do 
um, if what we're trying to do is provide them perspective or encouragement for them to make their best choices. So Rebekah, uh, if you feel that I answered the question, please let us know. If not, try to, um, I'll try to get, um, you know, more wording to help answer the question. Does anybody else have a comment or a question? Is, uh, yeah, yeah I just, what, wouldn't that mean that the 40 years of, of, of Mon and, and Mayan be counterproductive? Uh, that, that's a very good question. So Rebichil is asking, I'll just elaborate on your question first and then I'll try to answer it. Rebichil is asking that if in fact the Jewish people needed to learn that they need to become self-responsible and self-sufficient, and in fact that's why the generation of the desert, meaning uh, those above the age 20 when the spies uh, came and the Jewish people accepted their negative report. So then why in fact does Hashem continue to coddle us in the next, uh, it's about 38 years uh, in the desert. Why does Hashem continue to provide so much for us in the way of the desert? And the answer of Yechiel, which I think you're correct in pointing out, uh, you know, which brings up an amazing point. The answer is that the development of a child requires that they first know that the father, the parents have given them unconditionally for years. It's probably the major philosophic reason why the raising of a human being takes much longer than the raising of any other uh, living being on the planet. Because all those years of being taken care of, which it used to be until the age of nine or 12, today it's through the age of 30 or 40 or seemingly never ends. Right, uh, I got a, I was hoping for a smile from Mrs. Kanoff, and I got one there. Um, and and so it seems to be taking forever. Uh, but but part of the foundation of love is to know that that we are taken care of when we can't help ourselves. And until we get Eretz Israel, we really cannot uh, be self-governing. Um, and so Hashem is providing for the next generation the opportunity to do better what the first generation did not do well. That's, I believe, the answer. Yeah, but that might be true. But then again, but it's a catch-22. How do you develop yourself with being responsible? So you're saying, what do you mean, that they... That I'm saying that we need to have those formative years. It doesn't ah, okay. necessarily need to be 38 years. It was in this case for other reasons. But we need to have those formative years so that we buy the fact that, yes, our parents really do love us. My father even takes this further and says that's why parents need to sometimes put up with abuse from their children, but we're not going there today. We need to, we need to buy the unconditional love so that we know that in the future, Hashem is you know, really caring for us, even when he seems like, so to speak, uh, leaving us to our own devices. One yes. Last, uh, okay, one Sorry, you're No, I'm just saying, so one last uh, controversial comment. Uh, the concept of we want Mashiach now is you're negating that completely. Well, I'm, I'm saying for anybody who focuses on the problem is that Mashiach is not here is seemingly not focusing on what are we supposed to be doing, which I think is, yes, the core issue of Tisha B'Av. Yeah. Yes, um, Sylvia. Wanted to clarify that smile on my face. My children at their current ages are doing all kinds of wonderful, fantastic things. And I think when they 
ask me for advice and such. I think they're just trying to make me still feel like a productive person and keep me in the loop. And that's why. And then that's why. And so I I so much appreciate them keeping me in the loop. It's not that I feel a, a sense of them being dependent. I feel a sense of them wanting to keep me feeling like a productive person. So well, that is awesome. And continued nachas. Thank you. So I just wanted to, to clarify that in case Thank it was you. any. Thank you for clarifying. Yes. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you. Another clarification. I still want Mashiach now. So <laughs> okay. even with all the beautifully spoken and, 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 you know, elucidated and all that stuff. Still want Mashiach now. Thank you. Understood. Okay. okay. <laughs> very good. Thank you very much. Rabbi Akiva? Yes. Yeah, I was able to step away just for a second uh, from the office. But okay, what, okay. One, one of the ways that we could potentially uh, answer Rabbi Chiel's uh, question is, wouldn't the 40 years in the de- desert be an earlier stage in a child's development where they didn't quite le- reach the level of independence yet, and it's a process? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I did. I did take that point and and elaborated on further and say that uh, that builds a child's trust for the future, uh, which is why human beings do have built in probably the longest time of self development, so that we could really build that knowledge of our parents' unconditional love. Right. And another part to this is that this really demonstrates. Kaddish Baruch Hu's love for us because it shows how much Hashem believes in us. Yeah, correct. Yeah, he really does believe in it. Yeah, I saw your comment, kind of like Rabbi Emunah Secha. Right? Like, like the, the Mepharshim explained, the Rabbi Emunah Secha, when we say Moda Ani, is that even though we messed up yesterday, Hashem still gives us back our Neshama today to do better because he does trust that we can do better today. Right. Yeah. Which is in contrast to some other religions that will say that the only the only method of redemption is um, with Hashem coming down and saving us. And, you know, through the somehow actions of others. Right, right. Shakoch. Okay, pleasure, everyone. Uh, Yaakov, Yaakov, do you want to say anything? Is there is there another Yaakov or your friend? Oh, no, That's you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say thank you, Rob. That was an awesome. Thank share. you. It's a great okay, seeing you. Masel tov. Shabbat okay, shalom. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'll respond to you. Okay. Thank you. I have to, just so you know, I, I do have time uh, later tonight or tomorrow. Okay. You can. Okay. You can, okay. Mason, I'll speak to our to see what works okay. better. Thank you, Rob. Have a great All day, Rabbi. Great to see you. Okay. Go and have a super day. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you very much.